Hey, welcome to Accidental Gods, to the podcast where we believe that another world is still possible, and that together we can make it happen. I'm Manda Scott and I spent the first series of this podcast laying out the basic toolkit that we think is essential to making conscious evolution a possibility, which is the entire premise behind the whole Accidental Gods project. This podcast, the website, and the membership program that lies behind it. We spent the second series of this podcast exploring that intersection between art and activism, politics and philosophy, science and spirituality. And now in the third season, we are finding the people who are living this reality, people who can be beacons of the change that we need to be in the world. And this podcast is the second half of my conversation with Benjamin Ross, the extraordinary individual who is the lead for media and alliance building for One Nation Politics, which gives us a model for a new governance structure and a new way of creating political reality around the world. But as you heard in the first half, Benjamin goes so much further than that. He says of himself that through the expression of non-dual archetypes, of all-win ontology and visionary holistic thriving, in media, governance, and culture, he is co-creating narrative and experiential frameworks necessary to midwife the birth of a new earth. And I think that comes out so completely in the ways that he speaks, of the ways he lives, and the ways that he and the One Nation group are endeavouring to influence the election in the United States in a way that would lead to flourishing for everybody for humanity, and for the more-than-human world. So in this second half of our conversation, people of the podcast, please do welcome Benjamin Ross. So let's go back to One Nation. This has been going two years, and you recently, relatively recently, opened up as your village. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because it sounds fascinating, and listeners might want to come and visit. They're definitely invited to come visit. If they go to azurevillage.one, we are always inviting people to apply to come as guests. Um, The intention of Azure Village is to be a temple to our collective potential. And what that means to us is there's both a, a personal and a collective aspect to that. There's a way in which I feel this land in particular calls me into my own greatness. I, when I first set foot here, I was deeply listening to the way that nature speaks here. You know, different ecosystems have such mm-hmm. different ways of communicating. And the energy that I felt here was so precise. It was so stripped away of any excess, and yet it was thriving. And I... I kind of had associated thriving with this kind of lush, excessive kind of just dripping with water and and life. And and out here, things are only doing that which they must do. And in, in that, they are thriving. And so I feel that kind of precision here within myself that anything that is excessive or or not enough is coming into like this razor's edge of balance with Mm -hmm. itself. 
and and that is that itself is my evolutionary edge that I continue to walk here. And so I feel both challenged and and supported in becoming that version of myself here. And then there's something interesting that happens when a group of people start to experience that together because there's a, there's positive feedback loops where the way that we are in relationship to each other begins to catalyze that even further. And you start to have this upward spiral of collective coherence and self-actualization that I believe is, is what's possible when a group of human beings are connected to that divine spark within them and that deep sense of purpose and connection to life. And so we practice that through various intentional ways of, of co-creating and co-living um, and so our, our, the retreat that we're hosting is really the, everything has kind of been leading up to this synthesis of practices that we um, all have co-created this experience for one another. And we're experimenting in sovereign unity because each person is doing only that which they most want to do. And they're openly sharing it with other members of the community. So for 10 days, I'm going to be meditating, doing breath work, doing yoga. And my sessions are openly invited to other people who have that same exact interest. And so in that way, we're going to be completely isolated in, in, in our own experience. And we're also going to be creating space for, for those areas where we're completely aligned to come together and, and act together. And this is I believe part of this kind of self-organization of nature. Everything is doing its thing, but there are ways in which they positively feed back into each other's experience. And I think that's where thriving comes from. It's, it's in the interconnection of each piece of the whole living and expressing itself fully and all of the ways in which that creates benefit and value for all the other aspects of the ecosystem. Yes. And so that's what we're practicing here. Oh, ah. oh gosh, that's that's <laughs> that's expressions of pain. Of but I'm in XR. I've promised never to fly. Could I swim? Maybe I could, <laughs> I could get a kayak. I could to get you yeah, a sailboat. Yeah, it'd only take about six months. Wow, because this <laughs> is this is the living of how we could be. You are modeling how the whole of humanity could be if we lived the best of ourselves that sense of mutually aligned sovereignty, of each doing that which makes your heart sing and offering that singing heart in service to the collective. That just sounds... Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm i imagining anyone listening to this podcast is just going to drop everything. You're going to be swamped. Um, and we will put the link in the show notes, people. It will be there. So that just is extraordinary. How many of you are there at this moment? Currently, there are five of us, and uh, we're growing to eight next week. And then I think August is really. And can you take two thousand extra? That was a joke. <laughs> I, you know, I think we ha- we we are on a forty-acre piece of land, and so we're we're looking at if everybody brings a tent. If everyone brings a tent, okay. and if we find some Burning Man camps that want to support us with some large-scale mm. shade structures, or help us build a, an actual physical temple out here. We have a beautiful hall, but I would love to build a, a, a proper temple out here. 
Okay, but you wrote a very inspiring and thought-provoking, quite long essay on Medium about Burning Man and the potential of this moment. Could you pricey that for us? First of all, I think I realize I'm probably the wrong generation and also massively ignorant, but Burning Man was kind of on the very edge of my awareness. I wasn't completely aware what it is. So if you could give us a kind of two-sentence summary of what Burning Man actually is, and then your vision of what it could become, because it seems to tie in very deeply with everything else that you're doing. Mm -hmm. Well, I may actually give, if it's all right, a a bit longer than two sentences, because I think there's there's some context that I left out of the article, because it's somewhat controversial within the Burning Man community, how you tell the history of Burning Man. Um, it's a, okay. it's a community full of 80,000 cultural critics and anarchists and, and postmodern, um, <laughs> silly people. <laughs> and <laughs> so when you, you just got yourself drummed out there, <laughs> I consider myself one of all of those things in some respect, but the, the history that I feel connected to is, the last radical revolutionary period of of U.S. history, which was in the 1960s. And what I I feel the the pain of the way in which that cultural moment was ended, um, Hmm. and and that that's actually part of the legacy of Burning Man. Um, If you just imagine yourself as an idealistic young person who's maybe 19, 22 years old, in the summer of love, 1967, you go to San Francisco, there's a free health clinic, there's a free store where you can go in and everything's free and everyone's sharing everything. And mm. there's music and art and and sexuality is suddenly uh, not the repressed thing that it was before and you can express yourself. and um, And then the assassinations begin. And then the the introduction of of a lot of heavy drugs into a lot of these radical communities, and and just how how broken and fractured that revolutionary spirit was that was so convinced that was that was the moment that the whole world was going to change, and then it didn't, and then capitalism yeah. just got more entrenched, more well orchestrated more inescapable this feeling of of the immovability of these systems which has completely shifted since covid we like think we suddenly we're in a world where <laughs> anything's possible again yeah yeah but just imagining what it must have been like to have been activated like that in the 1960s and then to spend the 1970s and 80s in this malaise yeah and and hopelessness and so I think a lot of these these visionary, transformational, radical, um, justice-oriented subcultures were fractured apart, and they went into all of these different directions. And that's where this notion of a thousand fractal shards comes from, um, right? Which is the title. Which is of the title of the piece. piece. And and one of those shards moved into more of the personal development, this, this sort of Esalen community that um, I believe came about because if, you know, if we can't transcend the system, at least we can transcend ourselves. And mm. so people went inward. And 
the ultimate localization, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> and and they started to create art, and and then those those subcultures that I feel are connected to that legacy of radical visionary possibility. Um, and also critical commentary of the brokenness of our current social systems, they started to gather in the Black Rock Desert. Um, and there's lots of mystery around the history of that, but the what ended up happening is, is this sort of crew of misfits and outsiders created what an anarchist thinker named Joaquin Bay um, calls a temporary autonomous zone. And it's using almost the same threshold principles as ceremony, as ritual. Mm-hmm. And when you're, when you're in a ceremonial container, you set a threshold. And, and in crossing that threshold, you enter into another world. You go into the underworld or you go into a different reality. And it's a psychological, spiritual tool that helps you to deconfigure all of the mental programming that is normally... Um, running the show of how you process reality. And it's why ceremonial work, you can do some of the deepest reconfiguration of your nervous system because you put all of that to the side intentionally and then you work with plants that help you to actually work directly with your nervous system. And, and Burning Man is a similar sort of psychological technology. When you cross the threshold, suddenly all of the rules don't apply anymore. And... As a result, right. the, some of the darkest parts of our psyche live there and are, are free to roam and explore and, and some of the brightest lights and everything in between. And there's kind of a nihilistic quality to it because it's, it's so ephemeral. It's, um, I think part of that hopelessness that I described feels like it's part of some of the cultural DNA. It's like, well, if we can't be free out there, at least we can be free here. Right. Temporarily. And, mm-hmm. And now Burning Man isn't happening because of, of the virus. And, um, and it just opened up this psychic space for me that a lot of people talk about bringing Burning Man into the world. But what would that even look like? You know, there's um, so many ways in which the kind of radical free expression of Burning Man just doesn't fit. And yet we're in this moment where things are up for being questioned and re re-engaged in a new way like they never have been before. Hmm. And these temporary autonomous zones are, are spaces for us to put all of the preconceived notions of Western civilization to the side while we build a regenerative culture. And it's that last part that Burning Man never really got to. Building the regenerative culture. They, they put all of the rules to the side. Yeah. <laughs> but there was no guiding principle or sort of universal understanding right. because of the, the danger of those things. There's a way in which postmodernity is reacting to how oppressive the authoritarianism of, of objectivity has been. Hmm. You know, the, the trains running on time in Hitler's Germany, you know, like, uh, we don't want we don't want to do that. So we're gonna we're gonna be in this kind of nihilistic void space as an alternative, not realizing that there's there's a harmonic natural living systems order that's not oppressive, yeah. um, although it can be. And I think that's something that we need to stay very aware of as a community. I, I call it new age fascism. You know, there's ways in which like personal growth can become the new economic growth. You know, we um, 
And I think we need to be very careful of that. There's a way in which we can hold one another in, in community that acknowledges that they're perfect exactly as they are. That, that was just completely a free associated flow. But that was really but I interesting. Feel like I, Sorry. Yeah, keep going. <laughs> keep flowing. And finish that sentence. We can hold one another in community in a way that acknowledges that they're perfect exactly as they are. Feels to me that there is a balancing end clause still to come. Well, supporting them in their continuous expansion and refinement. Yeah, because that this is the paradox of all the spiritual work that we do, is honouring all parts of ourselves, honouring exactly who we are in the moment as being in the right place at the right time, and yet you're not about to go into a 10-day silent retreat unless there is a part of you that believes that there are worlds, existences, experiences that you could reach that are different and that the person who comes out will still be perfect exactly as they are, but they might not be the same as the person that started. Mm -hmm. And, And holding that paradox and being comfortable with it seems to me to be quite central to what we're trying to do in terms of building regenerative community because you're right otherwise we just there's a kind of place where new age fascism and spiritual bypassing meet Hmm. which is quite an unpleasant place to be and and quite familiar for people who have hung around spiritual communities so it would be good to avoid that from the depths of my ignorance would burning man have been happening now how long does it last? When does it happen? It's the the week, uh, the final few days of August and the first few days of September. Okay, already. So it's still to come. And having written that medium piece, you said 80,000 people. Do 80,000 people come together in one place? I'm imagining the logistic. I'm imagining actually having to manage the latrine system of that. And, and getting quite intimidated by the concept. 80,000 people all arrive for a week in one place. And build the third largest city in the state of Nevada for one week. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. So there's a huge groundswell of crea- creativity and connectivity and capacity there. Have you any inkling of whether your concept is being taken up? In some ways, it... It was before I even wrote the piece. Mm. Um, There are are ways in which certain threads of the Burning Man community have been acting this vision out and and gradually building on it. There's there's a group called Burners Without Borders um, that actually came up into existence after Hurricane Katrina because Hurricane Katrina happened during the Burning Man event. Mm. And instead of going home to their homes, a group of burners took all of their logistical equipment that they'd been building this city with and they brought it to New Orleans to wow. as disaster relief. Right. And so there are these sub-threads, these sub-communities of, of the Burning Man world that I think are connected to rebirthing civilization or at least using the Burning Man ethos to mitigate the suffering of our existing civilization system. And I kind of released it and let it out into the world and, and for a minute was obsessively tracking whether or not it was received and uh, felt a huge need to be 
write about it and then let it all go. And, okay. and I'm just trusting that, um, you know, these, these seeds that we plant are, um, all grow in their own perfect timing. And, and I, I know deep down that the Burning Man community has so much to offer and create. I, I see, when I see the protests of the future, they're not protests, they're celebrations. Hmm. And there's as, as much creativity as is humanly possible. We, I always forget who said this quote, but the, the purpose of the artist is to make the revolution irresistible. Yes. Uh, yeah, it was somebody check, I think, but uh, yeah, I found it somewhere. Yes. Yeah. A group of us are trying to write a television series that will take us from where we are to where we need to be in a way that actually gives people a roadmap and shows them what it looks like on a kind of blockbuster scale. And that's, we have it at the top of every document. The purpose of the artist is to make the revolution irresistible. Mm-hmm. And the purpose of a new governance system would be to make the revolution glorious and wonderful and flourishing. And so if people are interested, I'm guessing there's kind of two categories of people. There are people inside the U.S. who are allowed to vote in the election coming up. And there are people outside the U.S. watching the process with awe, wonder, and a degree of trepidation. Um as to the outcome of the result, what those two classes of people, what can they most usefully do? Let's talk about people inside the US able to vote in this election. If you were able to say, okay, guys, as of tomorrow, here are some resources, make the best use of them you can. We'll, we'll point them at the One Nation website. But what else can people do really in the next five months, do you think? Well, we're, we're calling in participation into this what we're calling the United Peoples Coalition. And this is a an opportunity for us to model this structure of governance and create a small experiment that will be part of the, the broadcast series that I referenced earlier. Mm-hmm. So it's a, a citizen-driven um, dialogue process where um, citizens share their ideas contribute their voice to, to voting on those ideas. And then um, if, if there's someone that you would love to represent you and the, the, the way that you want to see political leadership brought forward, we're currently looking for individuals who want to sit on those councils that would be um, integrating diverse perspectives, that would be facilitating nuanced and thoughtful and, and loving conversation. Um, and so if if there are individuals, if that's you or the, the listener or someone that when you think, who would I want to represent me in this new political paradigm, we would love to bring that group of people together between now and November um, and begin to broadcast these conversations in the early fall. And so if you go to our website under the Create tab, there's the United People's Coalition where, where you can read more and nominate someone to be um, part of the council. Um, Are you already broadcasting these um, leaders' conventions, um, conversations? Are they happening? Not yet. Okay, so they're going to be coming out soon. Yes, probably in all likelihood late August, early September. Okay. And you can read more about the the digital democracy platform that we're using. And um, this is a very new endeavor. 
but it's already catalyzed and brought together all of the pieces necessary to make it happen, including a large-scale broadcasting uh, network that wants to, hmm. a digital broadcaster that has a large, very large audience that's going to be collaborating with us. So Brilliant. that's one way to get involved. And I, I would say that as much as this conversation has been focused on the United States and the, the unique uh, history that has given rise to one nation being born here, the long-term intention mm. is planetary governance. Yeah. And and that is can be alienating to some people because they think it means the new world order, but on the contrary, it, it actually means um, a completely peaceful and self-governing planet. Yeah. And that really, you know, you, it, it's hard to envision this step without actually extrapolating it all the way out to that um, you know, beautiful sort of flower of life pattern of interlocking circles of councils around the planet. And so I'd say if, if these ideas resonate with you, uh, bringing one nation to your country, to your community would bring us so much joy. I see you know, we're in some ways we're, we're creating outside of the existing power structures. And I see uh, these coalitions of citizens who care being the this new layer of governance that will eventually rise up into the systems of power of existing governments and and probably rework mm -hmm. them and some things will have to go away and and some things will integrate and but we're we can do it right now yeah. starting right here you know we don't need to have the official levers of power in our hands to actually create real the, the power through our connection, through our relationships. Yeah, and that quantum aspect to it that you were talking about right at the top of the show, of it feels to me there's a kind of mycelial network growing of connectivity, of spiritual electricity in a way, and we can, we can build and we can build, and the shell of the old system won't even notice we're there, I think, until it has become obsolete. And we can, we can just, you know, this is back to Buckminster Fuller, the way to create a new system is not to dismantle the old one, to, but to create a new system that makes the old one obsolete. And then they can do whatever they want. You know, the old system <laughs> is a structure and, and the plants have grown within it and around it and through it and over it. And it doesn't need elections, I think, is the thing that I'm striving for. But, but even so, you said that Christopher was going to be a write-in candidate, which is not something that, that can happen in the UK, but is an astonishing thing that is allowed in the US. So um, people also could work towards that if they wanted to help. Is that constructive? Completely, yes. And the coalition is this feminine expression that I feel Christopher's candidacy is the masculine equivalent of that. And in redefining what, what it means to be president. You know, what what is the archetype of president in this new paradigm? Does it even exist? And if it does exist, it, it seems to be inherent that it's rooted in collective intelligence and in devotion to life and to the greater whole. And so um, part of the intention of the coalition is to create an apparatus and a culture and a context where leaders can actually look to the people 
and they truly are representatives. They're not just mm. trying to convince people of their ideas. They're actually stepping into stewardship to be an, a representation of the collective will. And as much as that's that will probably be a, a vestigial legacy system of government because with technology, we don't actually need that form of representation any longer. But as long as it exists, that can be the standard to which we hold all elected officials. Is Are you expressing the collective will of your constituents or are you expressing the will of other interests? And if the latter is true, then that's a, then we, we're creating a culture where that's no longer acceptable. And we're going to choose elected leaders who take their sense of stewardship and dedication to the to the collective very seriously. Hmm. And I think Christopher's candidacy is is that, um, is someone who's running in full devotion to the will of the people. And again, my blind ignorance of American politics, do, does he need a vice presidential candidate or is that not a thing? If he's a write-in, then he doesn't need a running mate. I am actually... a also ignorant of whether or not that's a requirement to be elected or if it's someone that the elected official fills similar to a, a, a cabinet mm. position. Yeah, um, those roles are not predetermined. At yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so there is an open, an open question of, of if there would be a running mate and who that might be. And so I think through this process of, um, hosting these dialogues, I think mm. it's going to bring forward the kind of leadership that I know Christopher would want to have in as a vice president as someone who's able to approach topics with nuance and care in the way that the coalition will be. So I, I see the coalition connecting to some of these other unity movements. Unity 2020 uh, has proposed Andrew Yang and uh, an, a U.S. Navy admiral. Mm-hmm. And I I see this sort of um, natural surfacing of a new kind of class of leader over the next few months that will come completely out of left field for most people in America who are, have kind of resigned to the fact that, okay, I guess we've, we're stuck with these <laughs> two guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they just hide, hide under a rock. So Unity 2020 yeah. was Brett Weinstein's idea. And didn't you say one from the left yes. and one one from kind of center left, one from center right? Yes. Andrew Yang being the center left and and this uh, McRaven, uh, former Navy SEAL, is the center okay. right. So they're both have a military background. Interesting. But I guess so so for people in the US who have voting capacity, then they, they can't they can either go for Unity twenty twenty or they can go for Christopher. They can't do both. But I guess you don't need to decide until till November. But those the two are mutually incompatible, or am I not understanding the process? Well, I, I speak to them as as signifiers of a new kind of political consciousness that's emerging that I do feel is completely connected mm. to each other. Okay. Yeah. And I would say I, I wouldn't tell you to vote for one or the other. I what I would say is um, it, it is up to each one of us through how we choose to be in conversations that are difficult, that are charged, that are polarized. Yeah. It's our ways of being in those moments that is where the political rise is created. Yes, well done. And so beyond any one candidate, it's actually 
can we embody these values in relationship? And, and if we can do that, then it's irrelevant who's elected yes. because that's a cultural change that will create the kind of world that we all want to live in. That is, you are awesome. I am so impressed because I had, <laughs> I had rocketed back into the old mindset. I was already in a ballot room with my pencil in my hand and a little bit of paper in front of it, which probably doesn't <laughs> even happen in the US anymore. It's all electronic, I'm sure. Um, but you're right. It's about embodying the values and that's worldwide. That's not just America leading up to an election. That's all of us in every moment of every day finding that space of co-creation and stewardship and connection to the natural world that then leads us to the interbeing that you talked about earlier. That feels really, really wonderful. Thank you. I, I have felt at moments in this conversation as if I was moving to a new way of being. You have an extraordinary capacity to bring that alive in ways that make it real. I am astonishingly grateful. Is there anything in the end that you would like to say as a last thing? At a, a personal and collective level, I, I've, I've also been deeply moved by this conversation and, and the intention and insight of your questions. And um, so I just feel grateful to be connected to this community of, of listeners and of the, the team of people who've been creating together including yourself. Okay. Um, and I am, I just feel an openness or a, there's a potentiality and unpotentiated um, possibility that I feel I want to continue to explore together hmm. um, as all of this unfolds and, and each of us does what's ours to do to, to give birth to this new world that we all feel inside of ourselves. Thank you. So maybe we could talk again closer to the election and see where things have moved to. That would be potentially, if you have time, you might be enormously busy. But we can talk about that. All right. In that case, thank you. That would be fantastic. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. So that's it for our conversation. With huge thanks to Benjamin for offering the depth and breadth and vision of his way of life and way of being, and concepts for how we can change the world that we live in. All we have to do now is go out into the world and find ways to make this take off in our culture. So to help you do that, I will put the links again in the show notes to the One Nation site, to Ben's Medium post, and to Unity 2020. We will be back next week with another conversation looking at how the future could be different if we choose to connect with what matters and what's real in our lives. In the meantime, thanks yet again to Caro C for the sound production and for the music that tops and tails the podcast. Thanks to Faith Tillery for being the other half of the creative team that is Accidental Gods and for designing the website. If you want to come and visit us and explore more, we're at accidentalgods.life. You'll find the show notes there, all the other podcasts, the visualizations and meditations in the resources section, and the Accidental Gods membership portal, which is a structured training designed to help everybody to connect with the more-than-human world in ways that are grounded and real and that give us the answers we need 
for who we can be in the world. So if you know of anybody who would like to be the change that we need to see, who would like to help us all to co-create the birth of a new world, then do send them this link. In the meantime, that's it for this conversation. Thank you and goodbye.